how Trump's plan for the Department of Defense could topple America. Americans need to seriously consider right now what life and government in America would look like if a MAGA Republican became president. The lead story across much of the media last night was that Donald Trump might bring Jeffrey Clark, the crackpot lawyer who hatched the phony elector scheme, into the Department of Justice as Attorney General should he get reelected in 2024. That would be bad, but it's now where people need to be looking for the most severe danger in a second Trump presidency. The last time Donald Trump was president, he brought in Bill Barr to corrupt the Department of Justice, thinking correctly that between Barr and Chris Ray at FBI, he could prevent any serious investigation of his ties to Russia and his many financial and political crimes for years. And it increasingly appears Ray and Barr holdovers at DOJ and the FBI may well have played a major role in those agencies' unwillingness and inability to investigate Trump for trying to overthrow our government in the first two years after January 6, 2021. But that didn't keep him in power after he lost the election of 2020. And Trump now realizes why. He has a new strategy, should he win in 2024. Trump now knows that the DOJ shouldn't have been his starting point to corrupt government to the point where he could proclaim himself America's first dictator. Instead, it should have been the Pentagon. Which is why, if Trump gets a hold of the Department of Defense again, it will almost certainly spell the end of the American experiment. This is where we should all be looking right now and where Congress should be acting to protect us from him or any other future wannabe dictator. First, the backstory, then what Trump or a fascist like him will do and the steps Congress must take now to prevent it from happening. The founders and framers knew about this threat of a politicized military. They'd seen it played out as military coups across Europe numerous times over the centuries and put what they thought would be ironclad protections against it in our Constitution. For example, the House is back in session today after their July 4th recess, and between now and the end of the U.S. government's fiscal year, the end of September, there will only be 24 total working days to get things done. There are only 12 legislative days before the month-long August recess. At the top of their agenda is the Must-Pass National Defense Authorization Act, or NDAA. It's must-pass because it's the product of one of the Constitution's framers' efforts to prevent a military coup or dictatorship from emerging in America. Probably the single hottest debate after slavery in that era of America was about how to prevent our country's military from assuming so much power it could threaten the new nation's democratic systems. This is why the entire military power of the nation is put in a civilian's hands. Article 2 of the Constitution says that only the president is the commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. It's also why the NDAA is so critical. Many of the framers didn't want a standing army during time of peace to even exist, preferring instead that each state have a militia and that militia be called up into a national army should the country be invaded or otherwise attacked. This, they believed, would limit the chances of a military coup with the army overthrowing our civilian government during times of peace. Therefore, the only limit on Congress's ability to spend money has to do with the military, which, under the Constitution, can only exist and be funded in two-year bites. Nowhere Nowhere else is Congress limited in how long it can fund anything else. But when it comes to the military, Article 1, Section 8 says... 
quote, Congress shall have the power to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be longer for a, for a longer term than two years. If Congress doesn't act every two years, the army ceases to be funded and would soon cease to exist, which explains the annual panic around the NDAA, which is that funding source. It's also why they wrote the Second Amendment, which authorized the states to have and arm statewide militias that could be called up by the federal government and led by the president, per both Articles 1 and 2, should the country be attacked. Jefferson was so enthusiastic about this that he, when he became president in 1801, he cut the nation's standing army left over from the Revolutionary War from hundreds of thousands down to a few thousand men. That choice led to the U.S. Capitol being burned in the War of 1812. After that, talk about standing, ending standing armies and relying on Swiss-style state militias pretty much vanished to this day. Building on this theme of wariness of an out-of-control military, in, 17, in 1878, after the failure of Reconstruction, Congress, at the urging of the newly admitted, newly empowered Southern states, passed the Posse Comitatus Act, which forbids the military from intervening in any way in the lives of civilians. When you watch old westerns and see the sheriff round up a posse, that's a posse comitatus. The entire law, later amended to include the Air Force, deals with the military, though, instead of local sheriffs, and is only one sentence long. Quote, Whoever, except in cases and under circumstances expressly authorized by the Constitution or Act of Congress, willfully uses any part of the Army or the Air Force as a posse comitatus or otherwise to execute the laws, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than two years or both. It was designed to keep the military out of the southern states after they had been, after the, after been withdrawn at the end of Reconstruction but in the years since has become a bedrock part of American law designed to protect us from misuse or abuse by the military's awesome power. In the years since, a separate law, U.S. Code 275, 10 U.S. Code 275, has come into being that includes the Navy and Marine Corps, but it's essentially just an extension of the Posse Comitatus Act. Which brings us to Trump or a MAGA Republican taking the White House in 2024. We know from Trump's efforts and his December 16, 2020 draft executive order, he apparently couldn't get General Mark Milley and others in the White House to go along, that he's perfectly willing to use the military against civilians and our civilian government. That draft order would have had the Army seize voting machines in swing states, effectively suspending the election process and outcome, a direct insertion of the military into domestic politics in violation of posse comitatus. Trump also used the military during his presidency in ways that only barely skirted posse comitatus. As Senator Tom Udall and Representative Jim McGovern wrote for NBC News in August of 2020, five months before January 6th, quote, President Donald Trump recently took the drastic step of sending thousands of National Guard troops to Washington, D.C. They were not sent to repel a foreign attack on the nation's capital, but to mobilize against American citizens peacefully protesting the senseless killing of George Floyd. The administration then deployed scores of unidentified federal law enforcement officers, many of them from the Department of Homeland Security, to Portland, Oregon, resulting in increased mayhem and injuries to nonviolent protesters. This move resembles what we might expect to see from authoritarians abroad rather than a president of the United States. End quote. Trump got around posse comitatus by having his corrupt attorney general, Bill Barr, issue a ruling the posse comitatus didn't apply to training exercises. So having members of the U.S. military kidnap, beat, and arrest protesters in D.C. and Portland was just, Trump and Barr proclaimed, training. 
As Udall and McGovern wrote, quote, Using the military to police Americans flies in the face of U.S. traditions and values and violates a longstanding principle known as posse comitatus. More than a century ago, Congress passed the Posse Comitatus Act to ban the use of federal troops from law enforcement purposes, not expressly authorized by law. But Trump and Attorney General William Barr have found a way around the act. Congress must act quickly to close this loophole before more communities start looking like war zones, end quote. That loophole still exists, waiting for Trump's return. Which brings us to action. Trump's first run at following in his mentor and possibly owner of Vladimir Putin's footsteps and becoming America's first dictator involved corrupting the Department of Justice, gaining the loyalty of the nation's oligarchs for the massive tax cut and numerous corrupt government no-bid contracts, and gutting federal regulatory agencies. What he hadn't counted on was that the military would stop him. He succeeded in getting his acting defense secretary, Chris Miller, to turn down the Secretary of the Army's, Ryan McCarthy's, request for National Guard troops to protect the U.S. Capitol against the crowd McCarthy's intelligence people saw forming on social media in the weeks between Trump's December tweet and January 6th. At the possible request of the White House or his assistant, Cash Patel, Miller issued a memo explicitly saying the Guard for January 6th, 5-6 only, was not authorized to be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic protection equipment such as helmets and body armor, not to interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense or defense of others, not to employ any riot control agents, not to share equipment with law enforcement agencies, not authorized to use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets or to conduct ISR, incident awareness, and assessment activities and assistance to Capitol Police not allowed to employ helicopters or any other air assets, not to conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or any other similar direct law enforcement activity, and not authorized to seek support from any non-D.C. National Guard units. As a result, Trump nearly succeeded in decapitating his opposition by having Vice President Pence and House Speaker Pelosi assassinated by his militia buddies. Combined with a proclamation of a state of emergency allowing him to completely repudiate posse comitatus, Trump could have become America's Putin in a matter of hours. What prevented him was resistance from the military itself, which appears to be why Trump was trash-talking Joint Chiefs head General Milley when he was showing off top-secret Iranian war plans to reporters at Bedminster. He knows how close he came to overthrowing our democracy and is still bitter and angry that Milley refused to go along with him. Next time, he won't make that mistake. His first step in office will be to replace the Joint Chiefs and secretary of the, Secretaries of the military branches with acting, no Senate confirmation, men who will do his bidding, no questions asked. He's already telling us this. Six months after he left office, he was still calling for Milley's head. His second step will be to follow through on what General Flynn was pretty much begging him to do on January 6, declare a national state of emergency, freeze government functions, and suspend elections. Congress needs to act now to limit a future president's power in this regard, particularly around states of emergency that don't involve direct foreign attacks by foreign states in the U.S. on the U.S. Ironically, Republicans called for this after Pearl Harbor. Trump was also able to do much of the damage he did last time by abusing the constitutional requirement that senior officials like the Secretary of Defense be vetted and approved by the Senate. Senate confirmation, the framers of the Constitution believed, was a vital guardrail to protect democracy. 
he'd no doubt repeat ignoring that constitutional requirement, making men like Steve Bannon his acting Secretary of Defense and installing similarly obsequious leaders of each branch of the military, among other positions. As Alexander Hamilton explained in Federalist 76, quote, To what purpose then require the cooperation of the Senate? I answer that the necessity of their concurrence would have a powerful, though in general a silent operation. It would be an excellent check upon a spirit of favoritism in the president and would tend greatly to prevent the appointment of unfit characters from Senate, from state prejudice, from family connection, from personal attachment, or from a view to popularity. Instead, Trump called them acting officials or even left the top positions open with the senior-most non-Senate-confirmed official who'd do his bidding in charge of day-to-day functions. For example, in August of 2020, the Government Accountability Office issued an opinion that acting head of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, was serving illegally. Trump ignored them. The Vacancies Act of 1998 gives the president 300 days to come up with Senate confirmation of new nominees and contains a massive loophole that allows, after those 300 days, acting people to fill roles. The act should be amended to a month or so and eliminate the acting provision except during time of war or an act of God emergency. In addition, training provisions in the rules governing implementation of the Posse Comitatus Act must be struck and replaced by Congress with an actual law preventing a future president from doing what Trump did in Portland and D.C. and was ready to do to the entire nation to stop the election from being certified. Trump may or may not be the GOP's nomination this time next year, but whoever it is, now is the time to harden our democracy against a neo-fascist MAGA Republican rising to that office. Ideally, Schumer and Jeffries can pull this off. It will require a few Republicans in the House who care about democracy well before the 2024 election. In the meantime, America needs to pull this fascist MAGA weed out of the garden of democracy by its roots, and that means prosecuting those with power who are close to Trump. Let's hope Jack Smith has the guts to go after the people who are at the top of the Trump administration and the turncoat members of the House and Senate because the next time they won't be as restrained as military as Millie and the military forced them to be in 2020.